Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. At this point, Democrats are heading into the election year, having come up short on two of their highest priorities, elections reform and this big social spending package. Their strategy has been a bit confounding. They have (laughs) allowed for months and months and months of repeated coverage about them fighting amongst themselves, not getting anything done. And it's been a repeated cycle. And it looks like we may be setting ourselves up for another one in February when they try to revive the social spending bill. And so they have a lot of evidence now that that's not been helpful for them politically, at least. So it does seem like there may be time, the need for a course correction if they want to, you know, change the dynamics heading into the midterms. I'm Annie Reese. This is Politico Dispatch. Today we've got something of a reality check from Congress Minutes reporter Anthony Adragna about what the story is now that Democrats have suffered prominent losses and what we should all be following in Congress in the weeks ahead. I'm going to be enjoying the fact that they're actually out of out of Washington for the week. I uh, know, in all seriousness, I think the future of what happens with what was called Build Back Better is going to be the most interesting thing. We've not seen a lot of signals from Democratic leadership so far, but again, they feel like they can't come up short here. And so how you get Manchin back to the table, how you get these conversations going in is going to be really important for them. I think both, you know, they feel like morally delivering on some of these promises, but then also electorally and changing this narrative. They've had two months now of being hit, hit after hit after hit of them coming up short, whether it was Build Back Better initially with Manchin and now election reform last week. And so I think really trying to change that up and say, look, we've made a bunch of promises and we can deliver on them is going to be how they change that conversation is going to be a real challenge for them, but also an imperative. In his press conference last week, President Biden talked about how he was surprised at the gridlock in Congress, which struck a lot of people, myself included, as a really surprising statement from someone who had served in Barack Obama's administration. I did not anticipate that there'd be such a stalwart effort to make sure that the most important thing was that President Biden didn't get anything done. I was wondering, do you think this is a case of, like, you don't really believe it until it happens to you? Or do you think there's, like, was a reason for Biden to hope that he could get more of his legislative priorities through? It's a great question. I was, frankly, like, dumbstruck by that comment from (laughs) President Biden because he obviously lived through the first four years of the Obama administration where Republicans made it their explicit mission to block his agenda. So it came across to me as almost naive He obviously ran for office on the idea of uniting the country and being able to get big things done. He's had a couple of examples of that, the bipartisan infrastructure bill being the most notable. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, this landscape probably should not have struck him as being especially surprising. It's been pretty much the Republican playbook for the last 10 years when there's been a Democrat in office. Do you think that there is anything that Biden, Pelosi or Schumer can find agreement with like both their caucuses and Republicans on? Or do you think we're just looking at more months of obstruction no matter what? It's a great question. The The challenges are really complex here for Democratic leaders, but I also don't think they should necessarily be surprised by them. Mm-hmm. I think certainly anything big along the lines of Build Back Better or sweeping legislation along those lines, election reform, 
it's going to be really hard to get consequential, really big legislation done. We just live in too much of a polarized political landscape at the moment. That being said, you know, I think the dynamics here are also challenging for the Democrats in power. This is the longest that there's been a 50-50 Senate in history. The last example of that was in 2001, and that lasted a couple of months. Mm -hmm. And so what that means is that Vice President Kamala Harris has to pretty much always be on standby to come cast the deciding vote on nominations or legislation. And Mm -hmm. so that really is a challenging landscape. And I think part of what we're seeing is maybe uh, a little bit of reflection from Democrats, and maybe they set the expectations game here a little too high. And so it feels like they're failing at delivering these things, when in reality, delivering legislation along the scale of what they've been talking about was always going to be really difficult, let alone in a 50-50 Senate. Yeah. And I ask because it feels like we, the royal we, we, the political media, I don't know, do a lot of talking about Democrats coming to agreement in bipartisan bills without the actual bipartisan support. (laughs) Like, I feel like we're always talking about, like, Democrat infighting, you know, where it's right. like, well, there's also zero Republican support. I think that's a really important point. I mean, I think that's been lost in a lot of this. You know, we saw a nearly $2 trillion bill last year to respond to the COVID pandemic, obviously very much still ongoing. It didn't get a single Republican vote. We're not talking about, you know, we're talking about potentially up to $2 trillion in climate and social spending legislation. Again, no Republican support for that as well. And so I I do think that often does get maybe underemphasized as part of the the coverage here, which is Democrats really don't have a willing dance partner here. It's not like there's disagreement sort of on the, the edges here. There's just refusal to come to the table at all. And so I think faced with that, that's really is a crucial part of the coverage and should reflect that the Democrats really aren't getting any sort of buy-in from Republicans on getting any of these big things done. A lot of Twitter fodder was made from Biden talking about sort of conceding, you know, obviously on Build Back Better and talking about breaking that spending plan into chunks. What are we going to see in the next few months? Like, is that the kind of thing we're going to see? What do you think the story is now after these losses for Democrats? It's a great question. I don't want to sound like I have it all figured out for them, but I I think that... um, there are pieces of that plan that are better baked um, that would leave a lot of Democrats really frustrated at seeing parts of, you know, parts of things that they feel very strongly for being left out. But things like the climate change provisions, they had, you know, under Joe Manchin's definition of what he wants to see as part of this package, they had 10 years worth of climate change provisions scored and written and had basically reached consensus there. There were still mm-hmm. some details but so I think things like that may end up being as sort of the, the anchor or the engine that drives this legislation forward. Democrats have obviously made really big promises in the climate space and in other areas as well, uh, where they feel like failure is not an option. And so I think that's going to be the, the engine again that sort of drives negotiations forward and trying to fit within the definition of what Manchin has said he would accept. But we don't have a clear plan here, and that's pretty remarkable going into the tail end of January in an election year. I have a question about some of the political theater elements of what we've been watching (laughs) the past couple weeks, where it's been interesting for me to watch some of these legislative hopes that even though everyone knew they were long shots, there were moments with both Manchin and Cinema either giving speeches or releasing statements that felt very directly like they were undercutting Biden's visit to the Capitol or Biden's press conference 
And I'm curious, what is your sense of how bad the blood is right now? I think both Senators Manchin and Cinema have remained um, respectful of their colleagues. They've said that they respect that they have differences. They hope their colleagues can respect that they feel differently on a lot of these issues. I think to what you're alluding to, it's it's hard to look at the fact that you know Manchin goes to the floor of the Senate in this highly public way, and you know again reiterates he's not going to vote to change the filibuster. Cinema makes the same speech, but right before Biden gets to the Capitol, it's hard to see those as sort of not not finger pokes the eyes. But on the other hand, Democrats have known for months these positions. They really right. didn't like that Manchin and Cinema held these positions, but they weren't thinking. they weren't mysterious, and so they took a strategy of trying to publicly you know name and shame and pressure and that has consequences and so i think that's how i i view the the context of how they they went about reiterating their opposition to some of these things very frustrating to a lot of democrats but the campaigns that they've wanted to run against these two senators have not worked and had no hope of working for months now democrats chose not to change course there however frustrated they were with the outcome I was just thinking about how every Democrat, other than Manchin and Cinema, were willing to change or alter filibuster rules, even these institutionalists, and that that was kind of interesting to me because a lot of those people had not been willing to do that even months ago. Yeah. Obviously, none of that matters if it can't pass and it didn't pass. But like, is there any kind of gradual sort of like change we can't see? It's incredibly notable. It would have been unimaginable that 48 Democrats would have voted to change the filibuster rules even a couple months ago. But I think what it reflects is the fact that there's this built-in disadvantage that Democrats have in the Senate. A lot mm -hmm. of the more densely, heavily populated states are, you know, where the bulk of the American population lives are represented by Democrats. But the GOP has a built-in geographical advantage in sort of assembling uh, a coalition in the Senate to retain the majority. And so I think what you see is a reflection of the fact that Democrats feel like they may not actually have the majority in the Senate very often. And so when they do, they really need to deliver on their mm -hmm. promises. And the filibuster in recent years has just become a all the more present obstacle to delivering on that. And I think other Democrats are sick of the place not being able to pass legislation. They feel like they have um, a brick wall and, you know, Republican colleagues that are not committed in good faith to delivering on anything big in their eyes. And so I think that's reflected in the fact that you now have 48 members of the, the Democratic coalition that say the filibuster has become an obstacle to getting things done and we can't just allow it to remain in its current form any longer. Even though we knew that voting rights legislation was doomed because we knew where Manchin and Cinema were with a filibuster rules change, we did see some actual debate on the Senate floor last week, which, at least from my political Twitter feed, seemed like something that a lot of Congress reporters were interested by. No, you're not wrong. I mean, I think that was the biggest surprise to me when I first started covering the place 10 years ago is like they don't actually debate ever. <laughs> the and, world's greatest deliberative body. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the world's biggest misnomer right now. They don't <laughs> debate. And so I think any opportunity to that, uh, Majority Leader Schumer has, you know, restored a greater um, opportunity for amendments this year than certainly wasn't the case under uh, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell's leadership at the Senate. 
But yeah, the opportunities for real debate don't happen that often. So much of what we see on the Senate floor is political theater where it's pre-baked. We know what the outcome's going to be. And so any opportunity to actually talk amongst themselves, debate issues, it's vanishingly rare. I think it's a sad state of affairs that that's the case, but it is where we are. Hopefully this can be an opportunity to maybe uh, allow that to become more normal, more normalized. <laughs> Anthony Adragna, thank you so much for talking with me. My absolute pleasure. Also today, New Zealanders are set to face new COVID-19 restrictions. The move comes after nine cases of the Omicron variant were detected in a single family that flew to Auckland for a wedding earlier this month. The, quote, red setting goes into effect today and includes required mask wearing and limits on gatherings. The move to the red setting also personally impacts Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, who will postpone her wedding celebration due to the new limits on gatherings. And former Italian Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi announced over the weekend that he has abandoned his bid to become Italy's next president. Voting is slated to begin for that today. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Be sure to follow Politico Dispatch if you haven't yet, and if you can, leave us a rating and review. It helps more people find the show. I'm Annie Reese. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>